Hi, this is Chris Castle, and you're listening to Your Morning Coffee, the podcast with Jay Gilbert and Mike Etchert. Weekly music news for the new music business. From Hypebot, the five things you need to know about the economics of streaming music. From Billboard, how universal music going public ushers in a new era for music. BMG's CEO has a grand idea for the music industry. Don't screw over the artist. From Spotify, what is artificial streaming? From Trapital, fans and influencers bankrolling artists directly. And from Amplify U, Spotify's listener-to-follower ratio. What it reveals about audience engagement. These stories and quite a bit more here on episode number 61 of the Your Morning Coffee podcast. Stand by for transmission. This is London Coffee. Wake up! The revolution is at hand! Your morning coffee is on the air. Your Morning Coffee, the weekly music news for the new music business. It's the highly curated, agitated, advocated, moderated, and liberated digital music information that you need to know. We are your digital music authority. And now, from our studios in Hollywood, California, here's your hosts, Jay Gilbert and Mike Etchart. Well, good morning, Jay. <laughs> I see you. We, we had lunch yesterday. Yeah. It's good to see you on the screen this morning. And we've had... We've been dealing with ghosts in the machine this yeah, morning. We had a little we? minor hiccup, a little uh, technical difficulty, but the show must go on. The and, show must go and on. I think we got it, it does. fixed for now. We'll uh, we'll explore these <laughs> issues a little bit later. You know, and Jay and I are fairly savvy with with stuff that can happen, and and we have just been. It started last weekend. Last when we did it in for the, the middle last of the show. In the middle of the show, and so uh, we kind of had to reroute stuff and do it. In fact, well, at that, that time we had to. It, it's some. It's, we are on FaceTime right now, and so it, it seems to be connected to the video on FaceTime, and maybe it's my iPad that is causing static on your end. Yeah, we'll figure it and out, and we can't. We can't figure that out, but we're working on we it. We will so figure we, it we've out. Got, we got the workaround today. It's, uh, it's good to see you. It was yeah. good to see you yesterday. We we uh, we noshed and we hung, and it was just fun. like old times. And Yes, it was just like the old times, and so uh, you know we're going to jump into it today. By the way, the guy that I get to chat with and had burgers with yesterday is none other than Jay Gilbert. He is the curator of the Your Morning Coffee newsletter, weekly music news for the new music business, and a former executive with Universal, Sony, and Warner Music Groups. And by the way, I think I've mentioned this before: when he orders the chocolate shake, no whipped cream, no, no real cream, no. please. Let's and they just. Yeah. 
Let's not. You don't need it. to go there. That's right. <laughs> and you saw me do that yesterday. Uh, my right. co-host here is my good friend Mike Etchart, longtime host of Sound and Vision Radio, formerly of SST Records, Warner Music, Capital EMI, and Universal Music, where we first met and uh, bonded over all things uh, music. Yes, all things Beatles, all things bootleg, all things power pop. Uh, milkshakes, cheeseburgers. Stuff. Yeah, exactly. And uh, you know, one of the other things that that uh, we couldn't do without is our our sponsors, and we uh, thank them every week, and we thank them every day because we couldn't do it without them, including uh, TiVo Music Metadata, dedicated to bringing order to the chaos of digital music. TiVo Music Metadata offers obsessively deduplicated artist album and song IDs, expert written editorial content and ratings, verified images, weighted deep descriptors, similar artists, band members, and influences, authoritative credits, personalization, discovery and search APIs, purpose built solutions for classical music and a global connected car platform linking broadcast radio with streaming to learn more jump over to tivo.com slash music dang we've we've jay and i've been uh, digging tivo for oh many, many many moons such a great company and, and such great uh, data um your morning coffee podcast is also brought to you by our friends at banzoogle built by musicians for musicians banzoogle is an all-in-one platform that makes it easy to build a beautiful website and epk for your music all the features you need for a professional website are already built in. Hosting and a custom domain name, dozens of fully customizable design templates, tools to sell your music and merch commission-free, commission-free crowdfunding and fan subscription features, mailing list tools to grow your fan list and send newsletters, social media integrations, and live support from their musician-friendly team seven days a week. Your Morning Coffee podcast listeners can go to banzoogle.com, try it for free for 30 days. Just use the promo code MORNINGCOFFEE all one word morning coffee and you'll get 15% off your first year of any subscription that's bandzoogle.com promo code morning coffee and we are also sponsored by Hypebot. Since 2004, Hypebot has chronicled the new music industry and the trends and technologies that are changing how music is discovered, consumed, marketed, and monetized. It is edited daily by founder Bruce Houghton with help from Owen Davis. Hypebot and sister blog Music Think Tank are published by live music discovery and marketing platform Bands in Town. Yeah, speaking of Bands in Town, over 55 million live music fans trust Bands in Town to get personalized concert alerts, recommendations, and messages from their favorite artists. The number one artist services platform connecting over 530,000 artists with their super fans, managers, labels, agencies, and artists access their own dashboard to manage and promote their tour dates across all platforms. Super cool. You, oh, absolutely. So big thanks to Banzoogle, Hypebot, Banzatown, and of course, TiVo Music Metadata. Boy, we really appreciate it. Great to have them aboard. And uh, as Jay and I have talked about, often we have been fans of all of them for ages and ages yeah. and ages and so it's a it's a treat to have them uh, participate with us in the podcast yeah so let's jump in i'm not sure what the, well this this chap here who wrote the first one jay uh <laughs> from hypebot the five things you need to know about the economics of streaming music written by none other than jay gilbert well and i've heard you talk about uh, some of these things uh, just briefly once or twice a long time ago yeah we talk about these things a lot and this came about because i was really whining to bruce over at hypod about an article <laughs> that i read that had some misleading information in it and he suggested well why don't you uh write a piece and i said ah touche Okay, so I wrote this piece uh, for Hypebot, and it's seriously a, a career highlight. You know, I, I've 
loved HypeBot for so long and it's been such a great source of uh, information for your morning coffee and just for me, you know, in general. And so I, I was thrilled to write this piece and I've gotten a lot of uh, fantastic feedback and I couldn't have done it um, without uh, music industry attorney and pundit uh, Chris Castle who I have a great mm -hmm. deal of respect for and Glenn Peoples from Billboard because I bounced these ideas off of both of them and they helped kind of guide me. Um, and these are things, as you mentioned, that you and I talk about all the time. Right. And these are the five things you need to know about the economics of streaming. And, I, you know, I was just at an event the other night, uh, last Thursday night, actually down in Venice. And, um, uh, this kind of came up again, and the number one thing is, again, streaming services don't always pay artists. In most cases, they pay the rights holders. So when we talk about not getting paid enough, there possibly slash probably is somebody sitting there in the middle between you and that, that DSP, and they might be taking a little bit of that cash. Yeah. And that's, it's a common misconception. You know, we, we talk to people all the time. They'll say, well, and, and they use Spotify. They're, they're kind of the easy target because they're one of the largest um, DSPs out there. Um, mm -hmm. But in a lot of cases, the, the DSP, like Spotify, isn't paying the artist. They're paying the rights holder. And then, you know, that rights holder, let's say it's the label. Well, the, they're taking money as well, right? Because they're investing mm -hmm. money. Um, in a lot of cases, there's an advance that's being recouped and, you know, there's tour support and advertising, marketing videos, all sorts of things that this label is doing. So the artist in some of those cases is getting a 15 to 25% royalty that that's common. So if the payout is X amount of dollars and, and the artist is only getting 15 to 25% of it, then yeah, uh, you know, they're not making uh, a lot of revenue from that. But on the other hand, there are a lot of DIY artists that are using, mm -hmm. you know, DistroKid and CD Baby and TuneCore and things like that, where they keep a lion's share of the revenue, but they're not getting that major label support uh, from that. And we're going to talk about that a little bit more deeply in another piece that's coming up. But I wanted to kind of show people that, you know, for the first time, our industry has predictable revenue. And there's a right. lot of things that are happening because of that predictable revenue. And and I do want the artists and the songwriters to be paid fairly. Um, but, you know, if you look at the economics of how this is um, being paid out, there there's only a handful of things that we can really do to improve it. And I try to point some of those out in this piece. Right. And you mentioned in the number two thing, streaming services pay out nearly 70% of the revenue they take in. Um, but there's sort of an asterisk by that, right? Because you talked to Chris Castle about that, yeah. and, and, and I'll let you tell, tell me what he told you. Well, Chris said, you know, you got to bear in mind that the revenue is not the DSP's gross it's a negotiated number that doesn't include it doesn't include certain items, you know. So, it it also doesn't include the market value reflected in that company's share price, um, especially true of pure play music services like Spotify. Um, but like the artist royalty, you can't really know what's to be included unless you see the deal between the rights holders and the DSP. So it's it's a complicated equation. Um, but with a streaming company paying out you know, nearly 70%. That's pretty close to what iTunes paid out. There is a lot of revenue being generated and it is 
being paid out um, fairly, in my humble opinion. But you have to really look at the individual deal that you as an artist, what you have with your distributor, with your label, you know, and look at the economics from that side because it varies wildly. Right. Um, and this one, you've, you, you are constantly reminding me and everyone, which is, don't forget the number one music streaming service, still YouTube. Yeah. Right? Yeah. YouTube, not Spotify. Well, people think of it, it as YouTube. video, but the number one listening to music uh, is, is YouTube. That's why we see those pseudo videos, right? Which is typically mm-hmm. the album art with the audio bed. And sometimes people see those on YouTube and say, well, this isn't a video. Why is this here? Well, it's here because people make playlists out of them. Um, yeah. you know, my focus group of four kids listen to more music on YouTube than anywhere else. Um, yeah. so yeah, I, I like to remind people when they're picking on Spotify uh, or Apple music or whoever that the, the number one streaming service for music is YouTube. And that's a whole nother discussion of how they pay out. And I was talking to Bruce that maybe, maybe the next five things thing that I write, uh, could be about YouTube. Yeah, absolutely. It's funny because when I go to the gym, I bounce between playlists on Apple Music and YouTube because, as you and I talk about so frequently, there's just things on YouTube that don't exist anywhere else. Right. And, you know, I, I... and I, I've got all of those in my playlist, yeah. you know, it's stuff that there's nowhere, it's not anywhere else. Right. It's, it's different versions. It's acoustic versions. It's demos. It's outtakes. It's live. Oh yeah. yeah. And it's, and I love that stuff <laughs> and it's all on YouTube. So yeah. anyway, uh, number four, Jay, uh, if, if I, I think you said this twice yesterday in our lunch, uh, <laughs> a stream is not worth a download. Downloads aren't worth a CD and a CD isn't typically worth a premium vinyl package. So when we're talking about streams, there is a relative value yeah. and it's, yes. it's at the bottom of the barrel when it comes compared to other delivery methods of music shall we say yeah and it's also very lean back if you're not in that first dozen or so songs on a playlist the engagement drops down and it becomes kind of a you know i I won't say background music but you're certainly not as engaged as you are in those first you know 12 15 or so songs in a playlist somebody told me one time that um you have to watch skip rates carefully because um, if you're in the number one position in a playlist, you'll get exponentially more plays, but you'll also get more skips because the mm. listener is never more engaged than when they first hit play on that playlist. They're about to cook dinner or work out or do their commute or whatever it is they're doing. And that first song comes on, they're like, yeah, no, and they skip that and go to the next one or whatever. <laughs> so that can be deceiving. You know, we've had some songs that are number one on playlists. Um, we had Vintage Trouble, My Whole World Stopped Without You, tons of spins on that song, and it was in the number one position of this great playlist. But I noticed that also it was a little bit higher skip rate because of that. Isn't that interesting? Oh, interesting. It is interesting, yeah. And it's kind of, it, this all gets into the, kind of the psychology and the behavior of listening that we never knew before. We just never knew, you know, and and it's now front and center and it kind of causes us to sort of reevaluate everything. And, and and again, it's sometimes it's not even actionable things, but it's just interesting data. Yeah. And 
Yeah, it is what it is. Yeah. So, And then lastly, Jay, number five, we all want artists and songwriters to earn more revenue from streaming. Is the answer as simple as raising subscription fees? And I know you talk to Glenn Peoples from Billboard yeah. and other places about yeah, this. Yeah, he doesn't really think that that's quite the answer. Um, and I think he's probably right. I think part of it, and I alluded to it in the piece, is you know you and I were discussing Tencent, you know, from China, mm-hmm. and how China? only a third of their revenue is from you know streaming, and mm-hmm. that we can learn something from that. Yes, um, tipping is culturally you know uh, more prevalent there, um, but what can we do? I, I would love to see uh, DSPs offer more things like experiences and a broader array of uh, merch and um, you know uh, tipping your you know you have some developing artists that you really want to support and I've seen this happen mm-hmm. fans want to support their favorite artists give them a vehicle to do that and chances are they will so I think that's really important and really without going too deep in the weeds I wanted to explain you know, the pro rata model versus user centric, Mm -hmm. you know, pro rata is what we're doing now. Um, You know, and, and some believe that a user centric model would be a fairer way. User centric is where, you know, if I listen to the accidentals all month, they get my $10 um, or the rights holder does right. In this case, it is them. But, and, and with this pro rata model, you know, it's, you know, the, the DSPs collect monthly streaming revenue and then proportionally divide those royalties to rights holders and DIY artists. Um, and it, that pro rata share is uh, of their streams is compared to all streams. That means that fans pay for music that they don't actually listen to. So some people think that user-centric model would be fairer. Um, mm-hmm. Maybe, and I, and I alluded to this in the, in the piece too, maybe the user gets the choice of which right. model that they use. Um, that's where I said, you know, could the answer lie in, you know, somewhere in the middle. And and I wrapped it up by saying that a lot of smart people are working on solutions to this. You and I have been talking about uh, the DCMS over in the UK for weeks. And, mm-hmm. <clears throat> you know, they submitted their findings to the CMA. They haven't agreed on what to do yet. So we right. <clears throat> we have a lot of work to do here. You know, just as a more of a question. So let's say we wanted to go from pro rata to user centric. Technology wise, how hard would that be for for all the DSPs to flip to that? I would imagine that's that would be not insignificant. No, <laughs> from but the back end you know, it's situation. all these calculations and algorithms and uh, you know uh, repertoire systems. They're they're computers and they're programs. And I think what what someone suggested to me recently was they could do that now as well, but not go live with it. You know what I mean? Like mm. tweak it, do it, see mm-hmm. what the payouts are. Um, there are some that claim that the payouts wouldn't be that different. And I've read some people who claim that it would be very different. So, you know, I just wanted to kind of explain a little bit, because you hear me say all the time that the DSPs, you know, pay the rights holders. And that's that's something that's really important that you'd be surprised how many people don't really know. Right. Absolutely. Well, and and uh, so check it out. And, and uh, by the way, that's a, did you take that picture of you? It's, a, it's there? No, Chris Schmidt took that picture. Oh, he did. It's a great image of you. Oh, great well, image. Thank of you. 
<laughs> yeah, no, absolutely. It's uh, I, I was I was looking at. It, I'm like, God damn, that's very. Well, cool. when we do and, and photo we, shoots, um, for those that don't uh-huh. know, I'm a professional photographer, and my partner, uh, Chris Schmidt, um, we we have a studio, and we do album covers. You know, the Temptations and Rick Springfield and John Waite and all sorts of folks. But as we're setting up the lights, it's like a recording studio in that just the slightest. Uh, yeah difference of moving a microphone in a studio can totally change the sound. And it's the same with lighting in a photo studio. So what we do is we get there early, set up the lights, and then we test them on each other to get them to where we're ready. And that was one of those test shots. Oh, okay. Gotcha. 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 It's a great shot. It's a really cool picture. So if you want to just oogle over Jay, just make sure you... you (laughs) You follow the link on on the Your Morning Coffee oh, newsletter. Lord. So, exactly. All right. Well, let's jump over to this. This is from Billboard. Uh, how Universal Music going public ushers in a new era for music. And you know, we were, we we periodically kind of talk about this because we were there for for the salad days, as they say. We were there for the doom days, and now. The salad days are back, and, and as this as this article actually started with, it says not that long ago, most serious thinking about the future of the music business involved predicting the collapse of major labels. You were saying that last week on the show. Uh, exactly. So somebody at Billboard was listening. Uh, in 2002, David Bowie said music would become like running water and copyrights would vanish within a decade. And once music became free, uh, who would need a company to help promote it? As recently as 2013, Tom York and Radiohead called Spotify the last desperate fart of a dying corpse, meaning the labels uh, that, of course, were distributing that, that distributed his, his album Tomorrow's Modern Boxes yeah. on BitTorrent. Remember BitTorrent? I do. Um, and again, so and and then I was talking about investors were not that optimistic either. Uh, Time Warner, of course, we we both worked. Well, I was I was at Warner Brothers when Warner Music Group when it was part of Warner Brothers Studios. Mm-hmm. We were both at Universal when it was part of Universal Studios, and then the the uh, uh, Warner Studios and Universal Studios couldn't wait to get rid of music. I mean, they couldn't do it fast enough to get rid of those Who companies. Knew? Who knew? And here we are. Uh, Lucian Grange uh, is uh, is now a very wealthy man because just last week, uh, it well not not a hundred percent of the company. We'll, we'll talk about that a little bit, but it is now a publicly traded company. And oh my goodness, yeah. things have changed so dramatically. Yeah. And it really kind of started with. I mean, Universal really is is. I mean, as they say, all ships will rise. Yeah. But this is really about Universal, our former employers, and what that has done to everybody else. Yeah, well, and- this this piece was written, uh, we were just talking about Glenn Peoples. He actually co-wrote this with Robert Levine. Um, and it's it's a fantastic piece. And I, and I love how it talks about each one of uh, the majors, um, like the first one you were talking about, Time Warner. And the thing that really kind of surprised me is they, they talk about... Um, EBITDA, right? It's one of those terms that we <laughs> we we talk about, right? Uh, like ARPU, mm-hmm. um, EBITDA, earning before interest, tax, depreciation, amortization. Um, that's that's the money, right? And yep, the you hear us talk about multiples, and what they mean by that is like what we're talking about Warner Music Group. Um, it it agreed to buy EMI music. No, this is, I'm sorry, this is universal music group uh, agreed to buy EMI's music businesses for 1.9 billion. And that was seven times it's EBITDA, right? Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. 
that's the multiple. And then you look a little bit further down and it looks like when, when UMG just did their big thing, it was 30 times it's 2020 EBITDA, right? And um, Warner Music Group is trading at an EBITDA multiple of 27. So the value or perceived value of these majors has skyrocketed. Well, and this gets to, to your point in the uh, Hypebot article, which is, you know, it never before has has the music business entered, uh, had the opportunity to have this kind of constant revenue coming yeah, in. It's, predictability. I call it the gym membership. It's the gym membership model. You know, it's like you just, it, and of course, everything in entertainment has gone to this subscription model. And so uh, when I look at my television and I look at my my monthly bills going out, there's lots of little people taking parts of me yeah <laughs> take parts of my checking account uh whether it's spotify whether it's apple music whether it's you know name them spectrum yeah. uh, at&t um you know hbo it's 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 the new entertainment business yeah. and that constant stream of money now of course there is churn um yeah and and in and I think everyone like we've talked about as well in the past, you know, you we all kind of make these decisions. It's like, what is my point of pain? Yeah. What's what 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 do I want to have? What do I don't want? What do I need? What do I not yeah. need? And so that is an issue. But for again, for music, it has just changed everything yeah. dramatically. Well, and it's also access versus ownership. And yeah. when we were growing up, we wanted ownership. We didn't have the option necessarily for access, but. Today, you know, with, with my kids, they don't need to own a lot of things like DVDs yes. and CDs and things like that because they can access them uh, when they need them. And there, there, you had mentioned these subscriptions. I, was, I saw this app the other day where you could uh, install this app and it'll basically round up all of the things that you're subscribing to and kind of report back to you. You know what I'm talking about? Yeah, and I need that app. I don't. I don't know what that is, but I've been thinking that there there must be something out there, and I need look to it have up. that because. Okay, um, yeah, it's it is um, well, and I don't know about you, but I find myself um, I kind of forget that I have them all, and and then I kind of go, oh yeah, why do I even have that? I'm not using that. I'm not watching it. I'm not listening to it. And do I, you know, and I have, we have Spotify. I, I mean, I know you, you have lots of things for, for business reasons, yeah. but you know, my, my kids use Spotify. I prefer Apple music. So I pay for both of those, of course. And then, you know, it's like, am I watching HBO this month or not? And it's like, you know, it's, it's easy to not pay attention, I suppose, is the best yeah. way of saying it. It's, it's kind of death by a thousand paper cuts. Um, <laughs> right. It adds up. Or, or. Or yeah, or insolvency by yeah. a thousand subscriptions. Um, yeah. It all adds up. But boy, what a what a uh, this is certainly the story of the year, if not the last few years, which is you know a very real tangible number that is now thrown out there yeah. for the value. Now, of course, Universal is still the largest and most successful music company. Mm -hmm. um, but you know, as I said, you know, all boats rise, all ships rise yeah. when when these things happen. And when I read this, couldn't... it reminded me so much of the conversations uh, that I've had with you recently, where you've you know you've kind of brought that point home that um, it wasn't that long ago that the music industry was not the place to be. Um, no bad reputation. Um, it wasn't bringing in the revenue that it did in the you know height of the CD days. Um, first, it was the file trading that just really took the wind out of the industry's sales. Um, and then, you know, with streaming and the lower revenue, and you you were kind of shouting that from the rooftops, like, you know, 
now the the tables have turned. It's now, you know, sexy again. Well, Lucian Grange is probably saying, Neener, 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 look who won. <laughs> It's like, yeah, it's it's a it's a new day. It, it, it sure is. is. Day, it so. sure is. Great article yeah, great and and uh, yeah, exactly. Well, then you know the flip side of that. This is another good article, the one from Rolling Stone. Mm. So uh, from Rolling Stone, BMG CEO has a grand idea for the music industry. <clears throat> Don't screw over artists. Yeah, and that in itself is a bit of a, uh, a shot across the bow, isn't yeah. it? Yeah, um, we talked about him last week. Um, BMG's uh, CEO Hartwood. Hartwig Massage. And I, I mentioned it last week, you know, I follow this guy. Um, I look, you know, when he's speaking at events and when he's being interviewed, um, you know, I don't throw the term visionary around very often, but he's one of those folks that seems to be just a step ahead sometimes. And I love that BMG is basically saying, you know, look, we're not doing this because, you know, out of the goodness of our hearts, we're doing this because it's good for business, more transparency, treating artists right. better. It's a sound business decision. Um, he says, you know, the, the biggest threat for us, and it's not fatal, is if the other guys become good, fair and transparent. Of course, he's joking. You know, a lot of what we do, we do because um, it, it becomes not as exclusive at that point. The moment the market leader decides we want to be the good guys, we're rich and now we want to be loved, then we really have to think about how do we keep any competitive edge. So this is like a business decision and it's a smart one. And I love, you know, all of the things that he's been, you know, a proponent of, you know, things like, um, I, I read about the controlled composition clause and, mm -hmm. and just being more fair uh, to artists for those, you know, that don't know, you know, there's a statutory mechanical royalty you know, that's paid, it's 9.1 cents. But, you know, many agreements, in fact, a majority of these agreements contain language which provides that if the recording artist or the producer has written or co-written a song, has ownership or, quote-unquote, control of that song, if they have any interest in, in any composition on the album or single, the mechanical royalty rate payable by the record company is reduced. And it's typically uh, what they call a 75, uh, two-thirds or 75% rate, and that's 6.8 you know, cents instead of that 9.1. And as you're talking about, you know, these little bites, you know, that uh, million here, a million there, pretty soon you're talking real money. <laughs> That's right. And, you know, it's, it's again, it's worth mentioning too, if you've been around the business for a long time, BMG has always been a music company. Well, this is the new BMG. So there was an old BMG. And again, this kind of like we were talking about at the last um, the last story, which is, you know, the, the, at the time that that uh, a lot of major holders of music wanted to get divest themselves of that, uh, BMG sold their then catalog of, of music companies to Sony. So it's now called Sony BMG. Uh, or, or is it just called Sony now? Is, they still no, it's, the it's actually it not part of that anymore. BMG is now its own standalone thing distributed by ADA. But it was Sony BMG back in the day, yeah. But the, the, that catalog of artists, like, you know, name any of the BMG artists, that's now under the direction of Sony. And then this is a new BMG that started several years ago. But it, it's it's kind of, you, you forget that there's been two BMGs, yeah. <laughs> which is weird. But, you know, he talks, he says, you know, they asked him, does the music industry overall treat artists equitably? And he said, no. 
But I don't think it's because of bad intent of individuals. It's that we deal with a historic behavior that was based on, if you want to be part of this market, you have to do what we say and agree to the terms we present to you. Individuals in this business want to help artists, but the structure behind them says, why don't we invent schemes to cut down on royalties and get more profit? Yeah. Which is valid, I think. You know, it's like, you know, the, the, this... This business has been around when you when you when you add in publishing, you know, you're talking about an industry that's been around for more than a hundred years, yeah. and um, you know, lots of shenanigans have have were put into place yeah. decades ago, right. and and it's just it's always kind of always has been that way. Right. Not that that makes it right by any stretch of the imagination, yeah. but you can see how these things can kind of linger on yeah. and. They're just kind of part of the infrastructure. Yeah, I think he makes a very good point there. You know, for, for years, BMG has marketed itself as an artist-friendly alternative to the major label system. And here are a couple of things that, that he's doing that I think are brilliant. One, BMG's embraced shorter-term deals where they retain mm-hmm. less ownership, right? And that's, that's unusual in itself. Um, and we talked about that control, you know, doing away with that controlled composition clause that I just mentioned, you know, and also something that I hadn't really thought about, you know, in terms of a CEO uh, talking about, and that is the industry's longstanding racial inequality. You know, BMG yeah. took a more direct act, action uh, than others, and it launched an internal audit, and it was to look for disparities uh, in historic royalty payments for black artists, right, for the catalog and labels uh, that they purchased. So BMG eventually found that four of its labels had paid significantly less to black artists than non-black artists, and then they pledged to address that disparity. That's huge. Yeah, yeah, absolutely, absolutely. And good on them for doing that. Um, So, you know, so these guys kind of sit in an interesting place just in terms of the hierarchy, really. I mean, they're, they're... we used to use the phrase mini majors back in the 90s um, for kind of, you know, uh, uh, kind of upstart labels, but had that had major label distribution. And I kind of look at them in a similar way. They're, they're kind of the, the, uh, the, they're not the new kid on the block in terms of the name, but they are kind of as an organization, the new kid on the block. And, and they're kind of not, not held back by a lot of these, sort of, you know, kind of uh, legacy yeah. behaviors and things like that. So they're, they're, that's how they're, they're differentiating yeah. themselves. They're a, they're which a is, hybrid, which is wonderful. to your point. You yeah. know, they're, they're a label, they're a distributor, they're like, um, they're buying up rights, you know, um, as, as a market for music copyrights is booming, BMG doubled down on acquisitions, you know, and they have a partnership with KKR and, you know, acquiring rights from legacy stars like Mick Fleetwood and as of this last week, Tina Turner. Um, so they're kind of a competitor to the hypnosis and primary waves of the world. Um, they are that label and distributor, um, but they are distributed through ADA, which is part of the Warner Music Group. Mm-hmm. They're, you know, they develop catalog, they monetize it. They're, they're a really smart uh, kind of new music business company. Yeah, exactly. So really, it's always interesting, as you say, to kind of hear what he has to say. And, uh, and, and as we continue to say, you know, good on Rolling Stone. They've, they've just have so many great articles as of late. And many times, you know, this is, this is very much kind of an inside baseball article, yet it's in a mass market music, yeah. you know, enthusiast. Written magazine. by so, uh, Ethan Millman, by the way. Good job, Ethan. 
Indeed, indeed. So let's jump over to the next one, Jay, from Spotify. Now, this was actually a video, mm-hmm. so we're not going to really talk about a video per se, but they did a, Spotify has done a really good uh, kind of a, a primer, if you will. Yeah. Uh, what is artificial streaming? Yeah. And you, you have t- you have educated me on this so much over the over the last year or so. Yeah. Um, it's finally coming so out of the t- shadows a little bit. It's it, it's something that it we is. talked about in the industry, and there are a couple of people. You know, special shout out to people like Maddie Elise and Dustin Boyer who have written pieces and have been shouting from the rooftops for years about artificial streaming and we'll talk about that in a second this is a video as you mentioned and it's part of a series that spotify does called the game plan and i'm just going to read the little blurb uh, on the video it says in this episode we give you the lowdown on artificial streams what's a bot what's artificial streaming and why buying streams can negatively affect your career and stop you from building authentic connections with real fans. We also explain what to look out for and what Spotify is doing to combat these issues. Now you and I have reported on, you know, tens of thousands of tracks being pulled down from Spotify for, you know, at the beginning of the year for mm-hmm. using bots and spin farms. So, you know, they explain in this video what is a bot. It sounds complicated, but it's not. It's just a little piece of software that uh, will perform a repetitive task like uh, playing a song over and over and over and over again. That That's just a piece mm-hmm. of software that does that. Spin farms, a little bit more nefarious. You know, those are typically offshore and they're um, these buildings <laughs> with a room that has hundreds of devices like iPhones and yeah. they're actually programmed by a computer to play a song over and over and over and over again. Now, here's the problem. you It's so easy to tell when someone's using these things, right? Um, you can see the spins go up, but you're not seeing more followers. You're not seeing, uh, and, they, and they point this out, that they know through their uh, systems at Spotify, they can tell when people are trying to game the system. And the problem is you may not be doing it, but somebody you hire might be doing it. Um, we recently mm-hmm. had a publicity firm that was caught uh, doing this to help one of their clients. But the problem is you get yanked off of Spotify and other DSPs when you do these kinds of things. And and the reason I love this video so much is that this is something that insiders in the music industry have been talking about for years, but it really hasn't been in the mainstream media much and now it is. Now people are yeah. talking about it. I, I think it's a fantastic video. It's like five minutes long. I highly encourage you. Yeah, they did a really good job. They did a great job on it. And it's, you know, we've both played in bands as kids. And, you know, we happen to get into business as a, as adults. Um, and so, you know, but you, you we know the mindset of a lot of artists, which is, I just, you know, spent all this money to make this this music and to record this music. And I want, you know, I want a little bit of a leg up and, and, and what is this, the number 70,000 new tracks a day or whatever that number is these days going in every, you know, it's like, it is such a competitive market. And, and as you said, you know, maybe the manager you hired or the friend who's a manager that you haven't even paid yet, but is working with you guys, it's, you know, you gals, it's, there's so many ways that it can happen with the artists not doing it, yeah. but the artists sometimes do it as well. Yeah. And it, it's so obvious and apparent to anybody who's analyzing the data, i.e. Spotify. Um, and, you know, and the problem too, let's say you get booted and you're thinking to yourself, well, we'll just, you know, apologize and say, we're not going to do it again. Well, 
<clears throat> good luck trying to get anybody, you know, on the phone or get a response back to an email. It may take weeks or months before you're back yeah. up. And so the the repercussions are considerable yeah. for, for we in, always engaging say, in this do it, stuff. Man. Don't do it. Don't do I, it. I yeah. highly encourage everybody to read the comments section under this video. I'm just going to read a couple of quick <laughs> yes. ones. Yes. Um, one, one person, uh, Digital Junkie, said... Um, we are fighting against payola. We were fighting against payola. Now we need a more stronger fight against Spotify Ola. Um, this person uh, with the tag Rain uh, said, "I I think you would have less problems with artificial streaming if there were more opportunities for editorial playlists for smaller artists. Justin Bieber doesn't need to be in an editorial playlist. Man, we're going to hear about his music. Also, I've heard that Spotify." And labels collaborate to make sure some artists get on these editorial playlists. And in some sense, there isn't a difference between that and artificial streams. Mm, you know, but there, there's some interesting comments here. And, and I think one of the takeaways is could there be a, a better system of getting independent and uh, developing artists um, some play here? Because a playlist is not a marketing plan. We talk about that all the time. You, you can't just uh, hope to get on a playlist and, you know, like some of these big playlists, you may only be on there for a week or two and then you're dropped off. It's, you know, it's got to be a bigger plan and a, and a bigger play. But some of these people who leave these comments make a very good point, and, and that is that they're almost forced into you know, some of these pay for play places and they can never get you on a Spotify curated playlist, but they can get you on a user curated uh, playlist in some, in some uh, instances, but there's not a lot of opportunities for them to uh, get in front of these curators. And yes, and we're talking about Spotify here because they put out this video. Um, they'll tell you, use the Spotify submission tool, you know, put your music in there and then, you know, their, their algorithms will see, you know, all these different uh, things about it and will help it rise to where it needs to be. But as you mentioned with, you know, around 70,000 tracks uploaded a day, um, half a million a week, that's a lot of music for these curators, algorithms, you know, systems to look at. And it's, it's definitely a problem. Um, but again, we tell people don't stoop to that level because it's just going to hurt you. Yeah. But a great video and a good, again, a, you know, a great reminder. And hopefully this is going out to lots of artists and content creators to just be reminded, you know, just don't, don't fall for it. Yeah. <laughs> Nothing good can happen from that. Yeah. So indeed, indeed. All right. Our next story, Jay, from Trapital, fans and influencers bankrolling artists directly. This is written by Dan Runcie over there at Trapital, yeah. and um, you know we're seeing a lot more of this, and and again lots of lots of people outside of music, potentially sometimes bankrolling. Uh, they mention on here who uh, I'd never heard of this middleweight boxer Canelo Alvarez invested in a Mexican hip hop artist who will perform alongside him as he enters the ring for his next prize fight? Question mark. You know. Think outside of the box when you're, if you're an artist. Sometimes, you know, where can you perhaps get investments and all that stuff? So we're talking about how this is happening, and are you seeing it a lot in your world? I know you work with lots of different artists. I'm seeing it um, with one artist, um, not a lot, mm -hmm. but I do have uh, one artist who is, um, shall we say, funded, um, mm -hmm. and that that does happen from time to time where celebrities, um, whether you're an actor, or athlete. 
whatever, if you have the means, you know, you'll fall in love with a particular artist and you'll want to see them succeed and you'll help. But it also goes beyond that because of what we were talking about with BMG and primary wave and, uh, you know, hypnosis with these folks that are buying up rights. Some of these people, it's not just altruistic. It's an investment. Yeah, exactly. It's an investment. And that's, um, again, that's, that's a, an area where in the music, in the old music business, uh, Labels made that decision, but individuals were not able to participate in having that conversation at whatsoever. And here we are, whether it's with NFTs and and you know all the uh, tokens, blockchain related opportunities, it's a different era. Yeah. And and now people and and the public is used to that, yeah. and so they can kind of jump in should they wish to. Um, but I don't know, you know, if you're advising someone, it, it, to me, it still seems kind of easy, early days, I should mm-hmm. say. Uh, it would make me a little bit nervous to be jumping into that world. But but maybe that's because I've been in the old and the new music business. I don't know. Yeah, I, I tell people, you know, there's no guaranteed ROI, uh, return on investment in, in music. There, especially with a developing artist, um, I'll have an artist manager say, okay, we, we spent $50,000 recording this EP or album. Um, when will I be recouped? And, you know, um, if you're just banking on sales streams and downloads and not looking at merch and sync and touring and all these other revenue streams, experiences, you may not get recouped from doing that. That's why record labels exist is there's risk involved. And, you know, our our industry has a 93% failure rate. So it's those Justin Bieber's and Billie Eilish's that, pay for all of these uh, near misses, right? So yeah, it, it's interesting. You know, they, they talk about in here that more fans want to bankroll their favorite artists. You know, they may not have a celebrity's reach, but would still love to show the same level of support. Uh, musicians, uh, the highest consumer surplus of any entertainers. That's because their content is the cheapest to consume. Um, mm-hmm. And there are platforms out there that are popping up um, one of which that um, I'm on the board of with my business partner called Songvest. Um, there are there are companies like that where you can invest in either the label or the artist. It's going to be a, a bigger thing, I think, going forward. Right. They mentioned for artists interested, if you're an artist interested in this path, the ideal balance is to offer two tiers of investment, a preferred level for the folks with influence and money and a common level for non-influencer fans. This could be as simple as crowdfunding a common level investment than signing contracts with the name investors. It can also be achieved with tools like Indify, which let investors back artists. Um, Again, this is so outside of my... um, my knowledge base, uh, it, it would just make me super nervous, both as an artist and as an investor, because I know the, I know a lot of the economic realities and, you know, and, and like you said, you know, are you going to be dealing with investors potentially that are expecting a big payback and how do you deal with it? I mean, it just, it, 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 Again, you know, and we've talked we talk about this a lot, which is, you know, we, we ask so much of music artists to first of all create songs that make me cry or make me laugh, you know, make great songs. And then now you have to be thinking about investment and oh you know, gosh. all of this stuff. It's it's boy, it it's a complex time to be an artist. Oh my gosh, you're absolutely right. I mean, you have to write and record great music, you have to put on a great live show. 
Um, you have to do socials, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, YouTube. You have to, you know, have somebody on your team watching the data. You know, there, there's so much more. Uh, and you, you mentioned the investment part. And, and one thing that I, I pulled out of this piece that I thought was interesting is that they say that an ideal place for this is on the blockchain. Now, yep. you know, I think that the blockchain and that technology is going to be around for a long, long time. Um, we'll see what happens with uh, the ever-changing world of NFTs, but the underlying, you know, blockchain is is super interesting. And they're saying that artists could create a token or offer buyers, you know, those two uh, levels, like either preferred stock or common stock. But without getting too far in the weeds, I think that the the bottom line of this piece is really interesting. That, you know. They they have a picture of LeBron James, right, and and an artist yep. uh, two chains. Um, this is happening more and more, where athletes, celebrities, investors are getting behind artists, and I think it's a real interesting trend. But as we said before, with you know, there's no guaranteed ROI here. It's art, mm-hmm. and you could. It's it's almost like you know the the stock market in the sense that sometimes things overperform and sometimes they don't. But there's no guarantees. Right, right, right. Well, it's a, again worth the read, and and uh, certainly appreciate you putting it in the in the newsletter because this is the future. You know, it, it, more and more artists and people are going to be talking about it, and it's important to know about it. So, uh, yeah, good good stuff for over. And I, Trapital is such an interesting site. They they have so many sort of things like this that that are really thought provoking, and again, are, areas outside of my limited expertise. Um, yeah, they do just, you know, primarily, you know, uh, hip hop, uh, the business mm-hmm. of hip hop. And uh, Dan Runcy was recently on a video, I think it was a podcast. I'm trying to remember. Uh, it was either Sherry Who or Amber Horsburgh, um, pardon my ever failing memory. Um, but he's he's very thoughtful, super sharp. And if, if you are interested in kind of the latest moves in the business of hip hop, definitely check out uh, Trapital. Yeah, absolutely. And let's jump over to Amplify You for our last story, John. Uh, John? It's okay, Joe. Why did I call you John? (laughs) Jay, uh, from Amplify You, uh, Spotify's listener-to-follower ratio, what it reveals about audience engagement. And this is another thing that I've learned so much from you. And this, again, kind of piggybacks off of the story we were talking about earlier, which is... The listener to follow, you know, you may have lots of listeners, but do you have a lot of followers? And is that a red flag for somebody uh, uh, looking at, in the Spotify uh, home office, looking at data and going, uh-oh, 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 lots of listeners, not very many followers. Ding, 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 yeah. ding, ding, ding. It can mean several things. This was, as you said, it's from Amplify You. It was written by Janelle Borg. And, you know, uh, the... F- First paragraph, there was a line in there that uh, I thought was really important. She said, unfortunately, playlists do not do much when it comes to building a community of fans to support your work. And I think that's really key. And as you and I were talking about earlier, we look at listener to follower, listener to follower ratio uh, very carefully with all of our artists. Well, what is listener to follow? Listen, I can't even speak this morning. I need another cup of coffee. Listener to well, follower John, ratio. So yeah, okay. exactly. Uh, Spotify followers divided by Spotify <laughs> monthly listener. 
listeners. Uh, a listener to follower ratio of one means that your listeners are all converting to followers. If it's less than one, it means that not all of them are, right? So, mm-hmm. and she points out some case studies here. Like, let's take a look at a couple of these listener to follower ratios um, for, you know, uh, Beyonce, for example. Um, hers, it, it says that it's um, point. Eight, eight, which means 88% of those individuals who listen to Beyonce on Spotify also follow her. But you kind of go down and she has, you know, Olivia Rodrigo and Ed Sheeran and, and others that have different listener to follower ratios. And, you know, like one of them, I think it was yeah, it's Ed Sheeran. You know, his listener to follower ratio is 1.33, which means that people might follow Ed Sheeran without even listening to him on a regular basis. Bizarre. Yeah. This reminds me of kind of the, the, the hyper attention to um, sports, uh, you know, batting average and wins above replacement and all that stuff. It's like yeah. <laughs> we're, we're getting to that point in this. Yeah. And I like to, um, I like to compare it to Facebook when you click like on something. And I always use yeah. the example of I like Dickie's pants. So I click like on Facebook. I'm not uh-huh. engaged. I don't go to their website. I just like their pants. And for whatever reason, I saw that and went, oh, yeah, they're they're black. They fit the music business uniform pretty well. They're light for Southern California. So I clicked the like button. But that's not real engagement. You know what I mean? Yeah. And I think what they're talking about is some of these people, like you'll follow a certain artist. And I'll give you a really good example. When you're an artist that is on The Voice or American Idol or... America's Got Talent or one of those kind of talent shows, you'll see an explosion of people who will follow you. But as the show goes on and they move on to other contestants or you're off the show, they're still following you, but they're not listening to you. They're not engaged for the most part. Um, There are certainly, you know, exceptions um, to that rule, but they're massive numbers of followers and very little engagement. And there's so many tools out there that we use that measure those two metrics. Well, and, and I find myself doing the same thing, which is, you know, because there's so many opportunities to, to get excited about something, whether it's a new, a new artist, a new song, a new album. And, you know, it's, it's, you kind of burn brightly and then it's like, Oh, Squirrel, I'm I'm now paying attention over here, right. you know, and it's it's it, it 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 is a real issue. I mean, no matter what, with 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 whatever you're following, I'm I'm very invested in the Dodgers at the moment, the Los Angeles Dodgers baseball team. Uh, so I'm not paying attention to music, but I will jump back to music quickly, and then it's like you know, I find myself really jumping around to artists and just everything, and because there's so much coming at yeah. me, um, it's really hard to get that. Uh, you know, to get that engagement consistent. And and I don't know how you do it, to be honest. It's really challenging because you got all, like you said, there's all these things being thrown at you. You've only got so much attention, your attention span, and you've only got so much bandwidth. And at some point it's, it's filled up. I made a mistake in your morning coffee last week and I put the wrong link. Uh, It was a cut and paste error, which was, so I, I just I apologize for that, but if you want to read this, just you know, cut and paste the the title, uh, the headline, and just Google that, and it'll take you to Amplify You. And again, it's Spotify's listener to follower ratio, what it reveals about audience engagement. <laughs> for some reason, the link that stuck in there was from this article on Tams, 
which is total addressable markets. Um, and that was a piece uh, on music industry blog. And it's a really interesting piece, but I was going to say that was a really interesting piece as well. Yeah. I mean, well, look, there's so much going on in the music industry today that it's difficult for you and I to just pick four or five or six articles to talk about each mm-hmm. week. Um, it's, it's really a challenge. And you and I, when we were talking at lunch, like we could do this every day easily yeah, and have absolutely. fresh articles to talk about. So we're just trying to pull out the ones that we feel will be the most interesting and educational and really kind of show you the direction of where this new music business is going. But um, we also just um, set up a Facebook uh, group for your morning coffee. Yes. And we would love it if you would join our, our Facebook group. It's just your morning coffee. And we're going to have conversations about some of these pieces. So if you have questions, comments, concerns, um, hit us up through the uh, Facebook group and we'll continue the conversation there. Absolutely. And on that note, we do need to wrap up episode number 61 of the Your Morning Coffee podcast. And we certainly want to thank our sponsors for helping us put the show on, TiVo Music Metadata, our good friends over at Hypebot and Bands in Town and Bandzoogle, of course. So without them, we could not do it. And Jay, let's go and boogie on and have a good Sunday. And folks are listening to this on Monday. So folks, if you are checking this out on Monday, hopefully your week will be outstanding and have a great week. And Jay and I certainly appreciate you checking us out every week because without you, we could not do this. So thank you for that. We know you've got a lot of choices out there as we have many choices in this music space to talk about. So we we are thankful that you are here with us today. So on that note, thanks for listening. This has been the Your Morning Coffee podcast, and we will see you next week. You've been listening to Your Morning Coffee, the weekly music news program for the new music business. Join Jay Gilbert and Mike Etchard next time for the digital music news you need to know.